Welcome to the Weeb Initiative, I'm your host, The Weeb. This is the show where every other week I'll be talking about anime, manga, and everything in between. This week, I'll be doing something a bit different from the norm. For the next five or six episodes, I think, I will be doing a mini-series, let's say, of me telling a story or more or less something that happened in the anime industry in the early to mid-2010s that I think it's a really interesting example of trend chasing or basically feeding a fad, let's say. I will be talking about four different animes that have really close origin stories, really close plots, really, really close um, not only the, the basis of the plot, but the, the themes and the, um, the character design even, to, uh, to some degree, and g- not only that, but genders as well, at tags, and so I will be doing that for the next few episodes, for the next five or six episodes, and for this week, I'll be talking about the, the standard bearer, the one that started the trend, the one that started the fed the one that is the the gold standard and the the one that began it all high school dxd i don't know if the x is meant to be pronounced i've seen people say high school dd high school dxd i i choose to say dxd i'll be talking about high school dxd high school dxd new and High School DxD Born, the first three seasons, the fourth seasons, the fourth season will have its own episode because it spoilers really, but it is the end of the Fed. It it marks the end of the trend of the demon themed, um, somewhat harem itchy enemies of the mid 2010s and uh, yeah that's basically what we are going to be doing for the next few episodes so before i even start spoiler alert i'll be talking about most of the story really i'll be talking i'll be glossing over the story of the three seasons but really it it doesn't really matter actually if you're watching this um for the story i think you maybe misguided but at the same time the story is not bad it's just really simple in some ways and i would discuss more of that later but the thing about this this anime is not the story really but um how wholesome in a weird way it is let's get to that so the disclaimers are this for alert normal and the fact that i will be just talking about the anime or the three the first three seasons of the anime and not the light novel or the manga and not the fourth season especially the fourth season is its own beast so before I even start let's go to the stats so high school dxd was originally a light novel written by ichie 
Ishibumi and illustrated by Miyama Zero. It was originally published by Fujimi Shobo. It ran from September 2008 to March 2018, so 10 years. It's a pretty long, I would say, runtime. And it has 25 volumes plus four short stories and three spin-offs. The manga was published by the same company, written by, uh, illustrated really, by Hiroji Mishima. It had 11 volumes from July 2010 to February 2018. And then we get to the anime, which the first one uh, and the first three seasons are done for this f- uh, by the same studio. Uh, TNK. TNK also was allegedly, again, I just have Wikipedia for this one, allegedly the same guys who did Musume, so I guess the guys just wanted to do Echi for their work, I don't know. Uh, The first season was released in January 2012 to March 2012, it has 12 episodes plus 6 OVAs, also for this review I will not be talking about the OVAs of any of the seasons. The second season, High School DxD Born, was released in July 2013 to September 2013 with another 12 episodes. And then the third season that we will be talking about, High School DxD Born, was released from April 2015 to June 2015 with another 12 episodes plus the six OVAs. Now I have to talk about a bit of the story and really this one as a gold standard of the H and Harem and really H I have first to address something before I even start. All of the following episodes, this one and the following five or six, I don't know, all of them will have this blanket statement that I don't actually recommend it because some people may get offended by the content being shown and not only that but I don't actually know if there is a censored version because this I, I'll just get this out of the way the story of High School DxD is about boobs and and this is the thing right that it is lewd and it does not have reservations about it it does not have any restrictions about it the the boobs are the main thing Uh, obviously anything more than that and we would uh, be getting into uh, let's say a more specialized kind of kind of ordeal here but the thing is the story is about boobs for the most part and so there's this blanket statement that i have to say at the start that i don't actually recommend this to anyone if you don't if, if you know what I'm talking about and you don't like it please do not watch and then come to me and say that I recommend it I, I don't I don't for the longest time this this is the gold standard for the H herring kind of stuff and because it has no reservations no restrictions for this it the action scenes are fairly okay that the story is fairly okay and this is just the, the thing I want to to mention here. Like, uh, if you don't like it, don't watch it. If you like it, uh, please do. Uh, go nuts. You have 
30 something even more episodes of story plus OVA so go nuts but the thing is right so this is an itchy story that is really really itchy and it uses it as part of the plot so beginning of the story we first get to meet our main protagonist uh, Hyodo Issei who's a freshman at Academy and so the, the academy is basically a um, ex only girls school and so he, they become co-ed at this point and so he enters this to get some girls and so on and so forth and, and from the get-go he's a perfect that, that's that's really down to the ground really they they say this at the very start he's a pervert and he knows it he wants to be a pervert and that's the that's the moving forward for the whole anime i'll get to that but the thing is we get to meet Issei and his two let's say bodies that eventually become um second eventually they are secondary characters they really just appear whenever we get uh, more chill more fan service kind of episode so not i i don't actually remember their names but they just appear when whenever the thing is we get to meet already our uh that will become later part of the heron part of the the main plot the main cast uh we get to meet our main heroine uh, Rias Gremori, who's a third year and the president of the Occult Research Club, and we get also, and we get to meet also. Oh boy, I, I don't actually remember the surnames. Whatever, we get to meet also Akeno, who's uh, Rias' best friend and also a third year and the vice president of the Occult Research Club. We get to meet Yuto Kiba, Kiba Yuto. I don't actually remember the um, one of the members of the the same club and also Tojo Koneko that is also a uh, another member and so we begin a, a really normal story for the first episode but the the thing that the um, moving force of the first episode is that we we get this image of Issei being a pervert that will never have a girlfriend that that's the the base of it and in the very first episode, there comes a girl out of nowhere and just goes, uh, will you go out with me? So, for for no apparent reason, out of nowhere, this guy just enters the school, gets a girlfriend that is not on the same school and just whatever, and so he accepts. Uh, pretty creepy if you think about it. No, you will not, like, go out with anyone you don't actually know. <laughs> you know but whatever and the story is not the the pinnacle of mastery of writing but anyways so he goes out with this girl and then we have a, this one montage of they going out and whatever whatever and at the end of it the girl grows wings black wings grabs a a lens made out of light and just stabs the guy through the heart and Issei dies. That's basically it, and and that's it. He dies, and at the nick of time, at the last hour, something happens that 
saves him. And the next thing is that he wakes up and is enveloped and embraced, hugging uh, one of the girls we already met, that is Ria's Gramory. And she's nude in his bed for no apparent reason. And so th this is the moving force, let's say, of the of the first episode. And so she explains that actually she's a demon. She is the master of a of a house. They have all this whole system about uh, higher demons have having households that they have teams of people, much like uh, pieces of chess, to have basically fights, uh, more or less, for entertainment. It, it is... And me explaining it, it's so bad, but <laughs> it's kind of like if Pokemon have something crossed with chess and, I don't know, real people fighting. I, I don't actually... I don't have a good explanation for this, but basic basic stuff. Elias Grimori is a high-level demon who has a household and everyone at the Occult Research Club is one of the members of her household. So, for instance, I, uh, she's considered, uh, Rias is considered the king in chess, uh, Akeno is considered her queen, I, Koneko is considered the rook, and Kiba is considered the knight. And so we get to see that through this kind of power they have of chess and whatever, Arias has resuscitated Issei as a pawn, and the consequence of it is he becomes a demon. That's the first episode in its in the whole the, the whole thing. The first episode is basically this, and so from this point on, we get the first what I call in this series a hard arc. What do I mean by that, right? So I will explain this a bit more down the line, but the, the whole thing is like, the series has this one, let's say, pacing model that we can actually kind of feel and, and see, obviously, but we can feel from the way that the seasons are, let's say, written, that there are... Um, arcs that actually engage in the story, so there's this over the there's the overarching story of the whole series, and then uh, later down the line there, there's more of it, but there is this uh, underlining individual stories of all the characters, because at the beginning, the beginning, we eventually, at the end of the first season, we end up with four girls, and eventually through a whole lot of things that happen in the story. We get uh, even more girls as the story progresses, but also every one of the girls eventually get or is introduced through a individual character arc. And outside of those two, let's say the overarching story and the underlining individual stories, we also have the fan service, the the chew episodes, the, what I would like to call it. Um, there are episodes which kind of add to the story, but not really. So they add to the bond of the characters, they add a cute moment, and most of these episodes are peppered with 
a whole lot of itchy, a whole lot of lewdness. Sometimes they just go really out of the rails and become really out there. It, it, it is incredible. This anime is really good in, uh, in this, uh, let's say, in this in this sense, the, the, the anime is pretty good. And so the first half of the first season, it is the first hard arc, which is the introduction of the story. So... Issei and all the other guys and from the second to the fifth we have the I'll call her for the sake of this podcast Asia 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 oh my god I, I don't actually know the, the thing is um, they call her Asia so so I, I, I will stick to that so we get introduced to in the second episode uh, to Asia, or, or I think I, it's the first. I don't actually remember. The thing is, so we get introduced to Asia Argento, who's a priestess, a, a nun. So we, this is a thing, right? Eventually, they will introduce more mythologies the, down the line, but for the first two seasons. We just get got to deal with the Catholic, um, let's say, model of things, and they have a difference between demons and fallen angels, and this kind of comes up, but not really, because some people will say that fall, demons are already fallen angels, but I I will not get into that. I'm not talking about religion here. The thing is, we have basically overarching uh, world building. The thing is. At some point in time, uh, there was a war between the fallen angels, the angels, and the demons. And so, it was a bloodbath for all the sides, and eventually they called a ceasefire. And we live in the post-ceasefire kind of period. But um, there are problems, there are rogue uh, agents in all of the factions that uh, want to reignite the war, or do another war, or are unsatisfied with the results of the war and whatever. And so the, the most of the conflict, the overarching conflicts happen uh, through these uh, rogue agents that get to do something big and through Rias and Issei, they kind of get involved with the, the bigger powers, let's say. So back to what I was saying. We get introduced to Asia. Uh, and then we have this whole arc where uh, Issei gets to meet her after being dead and being reborn as a devil. So we get this side, uh, this side story about Issei getting to know what being a devil is like, what being a, how to live life as a devil and whatever, whatever. And for the most part, it's a pretty rough kind of beginning until we get to, I think, like episode 3, where it comes out that the girl that killed Issei, and, and mind you, Issei dies, I think, two or three times after being killed the first time, until they actually come on on a full-front confrontation with the, the killer, and they eventually find out that the killer is a fallen angel, and um, the whole thing is a ploy, of, because a fallen angel... Once the let's say this artifact that Asha is carrying, so they also introduced this kind of concept of this 
mystical artifacts that people are born with. They are called secret gears. And for example, not not everyone has a secret gear, but for instance, the the secret gear that at the beginning is mocked, but it eventually comes out to be a really important thing, is the one from Issei that is a Busteto gear, who's uh, which is a gauntlet that he uses to achieve the powers of uh, an ancient dragon called Draigi, who lives inside him. So basically, he he was born with it. He didn't choose to wear it or whatever, but he he was born with it. And so he basically has a, a Naruto Kurama relationship with Draigi, though Draigi only lives in his in his gauntlet at the, this point in the story. And this is Issei's case. Asha was born with this gift called Twilight Healing. So the, it's a um, it appears as a pair of of rings and the anime doesn't actually explain the, the origins of it I don't actually know if the light novel explains it but because most of the secret gears kind of get this explanation but hers doesn't but whatever and basically the the power that Asha has is that the one two uh, he wounds so she has an uh, a real he wounds in actual world let's say and so the one of the rogue agents of the fallen angels is trying to get this to climb the social ladder, let's say, to beat someone else because she will become all powerful with the unlimited healing of the twilight healing. And the process of removing the sacred gear eventually kills Asha, but at the episodes five we get this whole confrontation, whatever, and we get to see the first touching moment of the story where. Issei actually sacrificed himself a lot to save Asia. Uh, there's a lot of crying. It's uh, I have this problem where if I see too much people crying, the, the thing is kind of really touching. I, I kind of I kind of begin to cry more or less. This one is the only actual time because later on they kind of do a lot of what I call uh, pump fakes. They do it, but undo it at the same time so at this point it, it is okay to cry that, that's the, my point the thing is so she eventually uh, ends up dying but at yes being the um, ever benevolent uh, president of the the club and also the leader of the household she chooses to revive Asia as a bishop for her household and so Asha becomes a demon and and then there is this side gag also because uh, Asha is a nun and she's every good, every kind and whatever. And whenever a demon tries to pray to God, they kind of get a headache. And so this becomes kind of side gag towards the to the end of the first season to the I think half of the second. And so the the first hard arc ends up with they rescuing Asha and she becomes the, the bishop of the um, household. So episodes 6 and 7 are basically fillers, which are the, the good thing. And then we get to episode 8, where we kind of get the setup to the whole um, end of season rush that I call. The last episode of the all the seasons have, of all anime, always have to have this rush, this really big conflict. 
I don't know why they always want to finish with a bang. But for the once, and, and this is um this is a thing that happens that needed to happen in terms of story. Uh the last arc of the season the that gets introduced in episode 8 is that uh, Rias as a high level of pure blood demon as of the Grimori clan she is the little sister of the current demon king so her big brother is the uh, the current demon king and the last demon king was someone else that doesn't actually get mentioned to the second season that that's not important the thing is so after the the last demon king was killed in the wars the her brother stepped up as the the new i don't know if elected if appointed whatever demon king they never really um, addressed that and basically she has a lot of face to not only to to use but also to contempt to and the thing is she eventually gets this arranged marriage, arranged engagement, let's say, with someone from the Phoenix clan, and the guy is a dick. It's a motherfucker. And the thing is, they really built his character really well with just, I think, five or six minutes of screen time, because from the get-go, you want to punch that guy on the face. And he say, seeing that he's president that at this point is not only the one that brought him back to life but also someone that supports him and that really really at this point it's not love but it's someone he aspires to be he, he admires and someone that really helps him when he was down and whatever not only that but there the pervy reason and whatever the um, what what happens really is that Diaz is basically engaged to this guy uh, because of the arranged marriage and whatever. And there's this whole thing where she tries to enter a game of this family game that they have, the raiding game that they call, where uh, each king basically pitches their own team against one another. And so whoever comes out on top, and, and it is straight up fighting, but nobody ever kind of dies. It kind of become. It is implied that one can die if they take too much damage at once, but it is said that dying is not normal. Let's say the thing is the the whole thing ends up with Elias and Phoenix finding it out. Or even though Elias doesn't have a rook and doesn't have a bishop and. If you ever play chess, you know that there are eight pawns in chess. Basically, Issei is so powerful or has so much potential that he has needed to use eight pawns to revive him. So he basically uh, equates to eight pawns, let's say. And the fighting goes on and the, the whole thing is, I would not say pretty well animated, but the, the fighting is kind of kind of pretty good and whatever. To the point where uh, Diaz, die, uh, Diaz not dies, but Diaz loses. Issei kind of almost dies, and so too. And, and this is a thing that kind of appears at the middle of the season, but it, it is not really confirmable that Diaz begins to have 
feelings for Issei because of I don't know man this <laughs> is a heron anime I don't actually know the reasons why but Diaz begins to have kind of feelings for Issei they kind of kind of begin to sprinkle up let's say and she seeing he him almost being killed by Phoenix she forfeits she resigns for the match and accept accepts the, the arrangement that's all well and good and whatever so we get a um, uh, later episode I think it's episode 11 or or 12 already I don't actually remember I think it's 11 that Issei basically barges into the engagement ceremony the engagement party that they throw for Diaz and Phoenix and says no I have an objection she's my girl and and I'll fight for it and for, from this point on we we get to see him fight with Phoenix and whatever and also we get to see them let's say the main power that the Busteto gear the sacred gear that Issei has that is the balance break the scale mail the, the 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 armor the red armor that he wears come out why and so we get this whole explanation that basically he has to sacrifice parts of his body to the dragon that lives inside him, him to gain more power so he he forfeits his right hand and right arm entirely to the dragon so it becomes all dragon whatever and this eventually becomes adventurous for Issei because being a dragon Issei has let's say kind of access to items that aren't prohibited or are noxious to demons so for instance Issei gets a bottle of holy water and sprays it over phoenix at some point punches phoenix with a cross on his hand and really just ups the 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 damage and blocks the rejuvenation regeneration powers that he has and so the the fighting goes on and on and on and Issei eventually wins through a whole lot of bullshit tree and basically right so he wins and the the season ends with him and Diaz kissing and going out into the sunset. That's the first season, basically. And for this first season, the, the heron doesn't actually come really together. It kind of does, but kind of doesn't. Also, the one of the main... Not the main, but one of the side points that actually become kind of main points later. Uh, at this point in time... Uh, Asha is living with Issei because Asha is kind of an orphan and she's just got revived and she doesn't actually have a, a place to live and so he lives with Issei and at the end of the first season with Rias kind of confirming her own uh, feelings for Issei and Issei low-key declaring his love for her she convinces his parents to live with her oh excuse me to live with him so Diaz actually begins to live with Issei and Asha and so there's this whole this beginning of the competition between Asha and Diaz because Diaz is the uh, more uh, Onechan, uh, Onesama type and Asha is more of a lolly kind of cute little sister kind of type and so we, we get to see the first harem of the heron tag uh, sprout in this heron factor from this point on we get to the second season so 
second season it begins uh, pretty normal until pretty filler and whatever until the point where at the first episode we get already the first setup for the first arc where we get the the Kiba the Kiba Yuto the the night arc so um, they are at Issei's house for some reason and eventually Kiba looks at one of his one of Issei's old photos because obviously there is the the trope of the mother entering the room with all the girls and whatever and showing the embarrassing child photos of the guy this anime is incredible let just, let's just get this done done here this anime is incredible the thing is Kiba looks at one of the photos and sees that one of the photos is taken in front of a holy sword so there's this whole backstory that goes that Kiba actually was a child rescued by Rias in a random forest at some random time they don't actually give uh, timelines for any of this there's no years uh, mentioned anywhere but the thing is uh, so Kiba is the sole survival of a uh, experiment done by some deep 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 guys in the church meant to create someone able to handle holy swords holy swords are swords made by angels and entities that have a holy aura to them holy effect i don't actually know how to explain this better but simple to say is the basically Create someone to wield Excalibur and its derivatives because the real Excalibur was shattered in seven pieces. So there are seven different Excaliburs that are part of the real one and whatever, whatever. The thing is, Kiba's survival of this experiment because at some point they had to dispose of all the test subjects and he survived because he was revived by Arias as a knight and so he he has this vengeance this the, his reason to begin life anew is to avenge all his his comrades his fellow at that point his fellow I don't actually know if they mention it or not workshipper so so Kiba was someone from the church and all the other people there were from the church and all of them died except for him. So, and his mission is to avenge them. Thing is, he becomes kind of a, a jerk about it and really pieces Rias off, pieces everybody off. And so we get to see a whole arc where Kiba threw a whole lot of insistence from everyone and to help him. And he gets really, not only frustrated, because at some point, they have to fight with uh, against uh, someone wielding a Excalibur, and basically they are powerless against it because they are demons. And the the, the Holy Sword is is the all-ending weapon for a demon. And so basically, it's an unfair fight until they eventually join forces and through the power of friendship, they get through it. And through the power of friendship also, Kiba also gets revealed that he has a sacred gear, although his sacred gear is not 
doesn't actually have a physical form. His sacred gear is sword buff. Sword buff. It's basically Shiro's ability from the Fate series. So it's the, the thing where he spawns a lot of blades from the ground and whatever. And so he can create any other sacred gear that is a sword and whatever. And he's... The, the ending of this arc is he unlocking this, this power of creating a holy demonic sword. So it's half and half. And so he can fight a holy sword without destroying his weapon. And also inflict a demonic, a necrotic, whatever, damage to the opponent and whatever. This... This is basically what happens, but um, the, the in-between is kind of important. Uh, at the beginning of this the, um, of this arc, we get to meet two agents from the church, uh, Zenobia and Irina. Irina comes out to be one of the, um, the childhood friends of Issei, someone who was on the original photo that Kiba saw. And Zenobia is just someone who wields a holy sword. So at this point, um, Zenobia and Irina are, let's say, neutral parties to the demons from the, the Occult Research Club. And when they meet Asha for the first time, they, they really trash her. Really, really trash her. And it becomes kind of... It's kind of tough, really. It's kind of tough. Whenever someone non-ironically suggests, you know, the, the toaster on the bath, it's kind of rough, right? And the thing is, it ends up... Uh, the, the arc, the whole arc, ends with everybody discovering that actually... Because of the last war, uh, one of the things that happened at the last war and nobody actually told anyone is that God is dead and only his system remains and the one that is basically the, the standing for him is Angel Mikhail. And, and this really is really rough. And through this revelation, uh, let's say... Zenobia chooses to be excommunicated and basically revived as a demon. She 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 had a, a whole lot of faith and was created by uh, raised by the church and whatever, and believes in God all her life and so on and so forth. And her resolve was basically shattered at the point that she discovered that God was dead. Not only that, but we also get to to meet, get to get introduced to at the end of this this arc in the sixth episode, we get introduced to the the soon to be the let's say the the sworn enemy, the sworn rival of Issei that has the so Issei has the Red Emperor Dragon, the Welsh dragon. And so there is his other let's say half uh, the one that fights him in the legend that is the vanishing dragon and so we get introduced to the to the guy that was reincarnated with the sacred gear of the vanishing dragon that is going to fight Issei eventually that is Vali um, and we get introduced to him because at the end of the, the arc nobody actually saves no one 
but the guy just comes up, destroys the bad guy, and just goes home. Uh, so at the end of the the arc, we get uh, Zenobia actually enters the the club and basically makes peace with Asha and Issei and becomes a demon. And through a whole lot of things, all the girls get way more assertive with wanting Issei. And this is the part of the anime where it truly becomes a heroin anime because not only we have Riaz and Asha at the beginning actually fighting for Issei, but also Akeno eventually gets assertive. Uh, Zenobia actually comes out of nowhere, really, let's say, burning the, the start line and jumping the gun. That's that's what I meant. It is really funny because the 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 change happens really quickly and the way the, the anime delivers that is really funny. And so from this point on, from the 7th episode to the 8th, we don't actually get much of plot, plot insertion, plot things, so basically filler. And at episode 9 we get introduced to the, to the other bishop that we didn't know about at this point, that is Gasper. Gasper is half human, half vampire, I don't actually know how you do that, but whatever. And half demon at this point, and revives demon, he's the second bishop of the Ria's household, and he has this, this secret gear who, which can stop time, and he's a total shutting, he's a trap, he's a cross-dresser, and basically, yeah, so we get to add Gasper to the, to the fray. The, the thing is, for, for the second season for um, High School DxD Born. We get to add Gasper at episode 9 and episode 10 kind of doesn't actually happen much. I don't actually remember if it does happen. Something does happen really, but the thing is, um, we get some flags planted at some point that of the overarching individual arc that happens in the third season, but that's not important right now. And the the end really of the the season is pretty messy and this is the part where i actually have to uh getting a bit deep in the overarching story so at this point what happened really so we begin the, f the first season doesn't actually have much much weight on the overarching story but um let's just say there's this talk between Angel Mikael, uh, the current demon lord, and the, the demon king, and Azazel, which who is the um, governor general of the fallen angels. So the, the the three big shots of the factions get together to talk about what the fuck just happened. So because why 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 is this? Because at this point, uh, they basically have the he more divided more or less in territories and at this point in the first season we had um, the invasion of the fallen angels that killed Issei and Asha into uh, Gremory territory in the territory that's controlled basically by Elias and in the second season in this first key bark the one that was behind it all the one that was behind this whole holy sword kind of quest or kind of revival fusing and the, there's a whole lot of things that happen, but the the one that was behind it, the mastermind behind it, 
was one of the big shots of the Fallen Angels. And so, basically, a talk happens where Azazel, Mikael, and the Demon Lord has have to have where they basically swear peace. They, they basically just go from a ceasefire to actual peace. Just to... Not just to show, but to... Uh, just to say that all these rogue agents are just rogue agents and they are to be dealt with case by case. But... And this is a highly secure kind of deal and whatever. But for some reason, there's this one invasion where a whole lot of guys from uh, unknown, not major faction appear out of nowhere, uh, take control of the powers of Gasper. He makes it so that everyone is stopped except for the guys that have special unique power so for re for instance uh Rias and Issei were were close to each other at the time so Rias doesn't actually stop but Issei has the Welsh, Welsh dragon he has Draghi who basically covers for him uh Zenobia and Kiva have uh, holy swords and so on and so forth and for instance Azazel and the the three big shots are just too powerful to be stopped and basically they have to to kind of rescue Gasper, rescue Koneko at this point and, and save everyone and whatever and then we get to meet uh, and this is all overarching story okay I <laughs> I'm trying to be as true as I can as and as brief as I can but the thing is uh, they go there fight and whatever and eventually we find out that actually there is a, a terrorist faction growing and recruiting powerful people out there in the, this multiverse that we live in. Um, that just aims to cause chaos. They are called the Chaos Brigade because for one reason or another, each one of them have their own reasons for why they want the fighting the war to continue and, or whatever and so we already get to meet one of the, the one that uh, basically opened the floodgates to the invasion was Vali the vanishing dragon that was working for Azazel at this point but he actually becomes the traitor and we also get to meet the other the one other member that we get to meet is I don't actually remember his name I think it's Boki but this is probably wrong He's the descendant from Son Goku, the... Oh my god, I will mess this up. The Monkey King that went to the West. I, I think it's something like that. I don't actually have the my mythologies right. But And so from this point on, the, the series basically opens up to all the mythologies we ever known. So there, there are Celtic, there are Greeks, Norse that appear on the third season and so on and so forth. And the Japanese also because... Also in the third season, it kind of becomes a big thing. But the thing is, um, at some point, we they find out that there is this whole terrorist kind of deal. And they fight it off. Uh, Issei finds, fights Valley body. Oh my god, I, I can't even English anymore. Uh, the, he fights the Vanishing Dragon. And eventually makes him retreat. Not... Uh, not defect wind but makes him a retreat and that's more or less it uh, the um, 
the season ends with this whole build-up for what would be the third season. And so we get to the third season. Third season, High School DxD Born. So this season is messy because, oh my god, I have to do a whole nother section for this. But it's to say it's the one with the most story-heavy ongoings of, of anyone. The... It's really story-heavy, as in it has a whole lot of arcs that engage in the overarching and the underlying stories and moves the, the whole plot a bunch. So, the third season basically begins with a really, let's say, more or less okay first part where they basically are entering the summer summertime, summer vacations, and so... The whole household, the whole Ria's household, has to go to the underworld to to a meeting. And also, uh, before I, I even continue, there there are two things that happen at the end of the second season that are the, the side things that become a good thing. Uh, first one, Azazel, for, because of the negotiations with Mikael and, and the, the Demon Lord, he becomes the advisor teacher of the occult occult research club and in charge of their training as demons the second thing all the girls in the club are ordered to live with Issei at this point it's not really much of a hustle let's say because most of them are just we never get to actually see it but we assume that it's not much of a hustle to move everyone uh, Irias gets the whole house, the whole Issei house renovated into a three-story building. It's a really nice house. I'm, at this point, it's much like uh, Issei's basically rich. I don't know. And yeah, this more or less it. The, the ending becomes, uh, Azazel becomes the, the teacher advisor and all the girls now live together with Issei, which is to influence kinship because the, the last fight is basically won because of Ria's boobs. Much like the first season, much like the, the third season we began, but that's not the, the point. Thing is, so first, the first um, arc is from the first to the fourth episode. There is the travel to the underworld arc, so uh, the whole household goes to the underworld because there there's this meeting between all the, all the devils and the big shots and whatever. And Ideas as a big sh uh, little sister of the current demon lord, and as a big shot, kind of a big shot her herself, because she she basically owns one of the guys that have the power to basically more or less kill God. Um, it, that being Issei, uh, she has to um, let's say carouse with the um, the fellow her fellow young demons. And all the, the high-level guys, obviously. And so there's basically a, a whole kind of deal with the meeting with the demons and whatever. And also on the side we have the beginning of the the, the individual arc for Koneko. Because we, we get to see that uh, her backstory of being too Nekomata. So Koneko has, is actually a Nekomata and she has an older sister. So her Koneko actual name is Shirone and her 
big sister is Kuroka, and both of them were eventually uh, at some point revived as demons, but Kuroka went mad with her own power and killed her masters, becoming a rogue devil, who's basically a target to be killed, more or less, because there, there, there can't be rogue devils. And Koneko uh, goes under the wing of Frias because the, um, the demon lord basically chose to spare her, although everyone wanted to kill her. She, he just gave her the um, basically the, her freedom letter, more or less, to be someone really to grow into someone that was decent for society, uh, like her her big sister. And then we have this whole side arc of Koneko uh, growing to liking Issei. Really, we have this whole thing with this the. Um, Young Devils, and at the end of it, there is this whole thing that happens in the meeting where the the meeting was basically for the big shots that we already know, the Mikael, Azazel, and, and the Demon Lord, to meet with Odin uh, from the Norse mythology, as the, the big boss of the Norse mythology. He was basically meant to sign on uh, a pact with them, to fight the Chaos Brigade, and so the Chaos Brigade basically enters the the, um, the meeting. Loki enters, being the one of the disgruntled gods of the Norse mythology that doesn't actually want Odin to to mix with the other mythologies. Uh, really, this Fenrir, there's a fight and whatever, and then we get a whole lot of deals and whatever. But eventually, the, one of the big shots of the demons uh, trap. Basically, Force sends Loki into a um, outside space of a faraway land and whatever. They don't actually, uh, they don't actually uh, explain much. But basically, they Force teleports him to somewhere else, somewhere really, really far. And so, and to defeat Loki, Odin says that he needs to get Mjolnir, the Hammer of Thor. But the the transfer kind of takes time for whatever reason, and so Elias and her household, and also the other household that is kind of presented earlier on, but I, I don't actually touch on it here, the household of the student council president, uh, they are sent to buy time. So they are sent basically to just fight Loki until we get Mjolnir there and whatever. And so there's this whole fight, the fight eventually ends up with uh, being really okay until the point where they do this pump fake where Issei almost almost dies and it I mean at this point it's okay Issei eventually boosts up his power enough to to wield Mjolnir for like one swing he hits Loki but in his last let's say is his in his last attempt of of causing mischief, causing suffering for the the ones that are going to imprison him, he curses both Rias and Issei, and this takes a lot of time to to come up again. And now I have to <laughs> to do this one commentary. After rewatching this season, I came to the conclusion I hate this plot device. This kind of 
curse with no real uh, effect determined already. Really hateful plot device. Oh my god, I hate it. I hate it when they did it in the last season of Symphony Gear. I hate it here. I hate it whatever. Because it's such a get out, get out of jail free card for the writer. It's so bad, man. It's so bad. Because we know that something happened. The, the, the characters may not know, but we know. And then we, we just get this angst of, oh my god, when when will this when will this trigger? Oh my god, what will happen? Hateful, hateful. Absolutely terrible. Anyway, getting back to the plot. So, this is the, the thing that happens in the first arc of the season. So, episode 5 is the whole kind of... Not the whole, but... Um, the, the ending of this, the the arc of Akeno, her underlying individual arc of her accepting herself because it actually comes out that Akeno is the daughter of a human and a fallen angel that eventually gets turned into a demon. Um, and she ends up accepting her father, even though her father is the reason more or less that her mother got killed. And then... We get to episode 6, where we get the introduction to... Let's say, the introduction to the guy that triggers the last arc, more or less. It's one big arc, but um, let's just say it's the, the introduction to the guy that triggers the arc. So, episode 6, what happens? Uh, come, there comes this guy that's one of the young um, devils that we meet at the, the first arc. I don't actually remember the first name, Astaroth, that actually comes out to be the the guy that Asha saved back in the first season that caused her to be expelled from the church and the guy wants Asha to be his bride and so the whole thing kind of smells weird because the guy has that uh, really laid back kind of tone so it kind of uh, you already know something's wrong out there and so we get to, to the whole arc basically happens is they for some reason get our uh, game against this one guy uh it comes out that the guy was actually dealing with the chaos brigade under the wraps uh, turns out that everybody uh, actually the all the big shots knew more or less about it and used the the, the Diaz household household as a bait asha gets captured the curse on Issei kind of triggers with his suffering because Asha almost dies, like, twice. And they they basically, they save her for the first time, it's a-okay. But then there's this one thing that happens out of nowhere that really, really just triggers Issei. And the, the, the whole thing, the whole scene is terrible. The whole scene is horrible. It's terrible to watch. It's so hard. And basically what happens, uh, Issei gets to a new level of despair that brings him into this new mode that till this point we didn't see. That is the Juggernaut Drive that basically takes away his reasoning and basically unleashes all his power. And basically everybody tries to stop him, whatever. Uh, even Rias gets gets got let's say she gets hurt a lot through it and 
it's only resolved because Vali and Office. Office is um, a side character to this point, but she's basically the big shot of the Chaos Brigade. Although she's basically new, true neutral, Chaos neutral maybe. She's not actually evil, more or less. She just has this uh, morally ambiguous objectives. She does some magic and gets the curse out of Issei. And so Issei gets uh, gets back to normal. But the curse on the ears has, is still not triggered. So Issei is saved. Asha is saved because Vali was going through the dimensional gap and whatever. The thing is, everybody's saved to this point. So, but for some reason, at some point in a, in a later episode, a copy of Issei comes out into the club room and basically talks something to Rias, and Rias basically gets kind of mind-controlled into being bad and killing everyone. She doesn't actually kill everyone, but almost does. And so the curse in Rias kind of uh, comes up, and the whole thing kind of runs around really fast, but really kind of redundant at some point. It, it all comes down to Issei saving Rias because he's the he's the main guy and she's the main girl, and all because the 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 curse that Loki put on them to are f is born from insecurities they have. And so, for one, Issei has the insecurity of his first, let's say, the first love. The he has a trauma attached to the uh, to the girl that killed him in the first season and Diaz has this uh, this insecurity of uh, losing Issei to the other girls kind of, they, they kind of underplay this a bit but it's more or less it uh, it ends up with her kind of accepting it but anyways the whole ordeal ends with them saving each other and the end of the third season ends up with uh, basically, one of the Valkyries that came with Odin to Japan becomes the last Rook for Rias because she just looked at the, <laughs> the working benefits plan and chose, whoa, this insurance is really good. Might as well take it. <laughs> and that's basically it. From this point on, the, the third season basically ends. And I'll talk about the fourth season in a later episode because for once... I have 1 hour and 15 minutes of recording already. And for 2, because the 4th season... Oh my god, the 4th season really grinds my gears just to remember it. I think I, I didn't mention it, right? Um, the 4th season, High School DxD Hero, came out in April 2018 and ended in July 2018. It has 13 episodes. And for once, it was not done by TNX. K. Oh my god, I fucked up the name of the studio. It was done for by another studio no, named Passione, who's, uh, which is a really, really newer studio. The, the thing is, the fourth season is the whole other beast that I will talk about in a later episode. So let's just get to the to the actual review, to the to my opinion part of the thing. So what what did I say about uh, first the hard arcs and the, the soft arcs, the fillers? Uh, for the first season, we have hard arc, a lot of filler, hard arc. 
with a really good emotional charge on the two hard arcs and the filler being really well done. Second season, we have hard arc, not so emotional than the first uh, the first season, but actually kind of good. We have, I think, two or three episodes of filler. And then we have kind of a really small end of season rush on the 10th, 11th and 12th episode, which is a good ratio to this point. So we have two seasons already with hard arc, filler hard arc, and this is it. Now the what happened what happened with the third season? The third season is the beginning of the end. Because the fourth season, as I already said, is the twilight of this whole trend. The third season, I think, it brings up a whole lot of things that helped the fourth season being the last one. The first thing is, it's a really plot-heavy season. The, the We have, let's say, three kind of arcs that really are plot-heavy for the overarching story and the individual stories. Not only that, but uh, what happens in these arcs is really heavy for the audience that at this point created a let's say an emotional connection with the the characters i think the they pushed uh Issei in specific is really pushed towards the, the his upper limit in the in this season uh, not only that but Ria's suffering uh is kind of agonizing at some points with how much the the whole feeling of something is going to go wrong builds up so much and when it explodes i just became yeah this was premeditated i mean i can see that me as audience i can see that this shit will go down bad and nobody's go doing anything about it uh not only that but i think a bit of at this point in the third season a bit of franchise fatigue kind of got in the way i think this is mostly me remembering a bit of the what happened back in 2015 but a bit of franchise uh, franchise fatigue but also uh we got a, a whole lot of things but the the whole thing kind of works well to the second season the third season really pushed it really hard towards an audience that at this point was accustomed with really soft a really a really nice anime and, and this is a thing i have about high school dxd high school dxd for the most of it is a really wholesome anime and not wholesome in the way that's cute no it's lewd as all oh hell that's not the what i'm saying the thing is it's wholesome in a way that it is cute and the overarching story always ends up with everybody's going to be alright, everything's going to be alright. There, there are no actual stakes. All the fights that kind of get stakes not, never really do. And although this is not really good, this is not really bad. The thing is, it's good to relax. The, the Watching it, it's good to uh, just leave the... the Leave the stress at the door and just watch for the good time and whatever. The the story is really cute. The, the the characters are really nice and the whole thing feels comfy. Feels 
feels comfortable to, to watch. The thing about the third season is that when you were used to this comfortable and easygoing kind of deal, when it isn't, uh, you will have this adverse effect, this, oh my god, this is bad, this, this, this season is bad. Why does it, why is it bad? It's not because the things are not there. I mean, the, the characters didn't change, the whole thing didn't change. The pacing, though, the pacing changed a lot. Oh my god, I, I can't even English anymore. The pacing changed a lot. The whole thing just went into a whole different direction from the other seasons. Everything became way heavier. We had... Oh my god, what, what happens with Issei and Elias in this season really pushed the whole thing to another direction. They suffer a lot. The whole thing is a struggle. When Issei actually transforms and, and hurts Elias, it hits different, you know, it it, it hits different as, as audience. And for what's worth, the, the third season set so much shit up that I think that, that if the studio had continued in the tracks, if the same studio had continued in, in its tracks, the... The whole thing had continued as it was, and the, the studio had not changed. The whole thing didn't didn't uh, run the way it did. I would say that the fourth season was the best one, but I, I do not live in a timeline. And unfortunately, thing, things did not work that way. And the third season is really heavy because they wanted to do. I I hope I I I like to imagine like this. They wanted to make the fourth season to be the one of the most comfortable, one of the most fulfilling, the one of the most cathartic seasons they could ever do, but they didn't. The, the whole thing came apart. That being said, I have some general notes that I think I need to talk about before I finish this thing. Because at this point, it's been one hour and 30 minutes of the recording, whatever. So... Uh, what do I, what do I, what's my opinion about the series? The series to the third season is a really good series. I, as I already said in the blanket statement, I do not recommend any of the enemies that I will talk about here as a way to excuse myself if anyone comes, uh, goes, watches something that they clearly know that they will not like and come back to me and, and complain. I don't, I do not want that. Though, for the ones that will choose to watch it, please do and go nuts. It's it's pretty nice. It's pretty, as I already said, it's pretty comfy. The the whole thing is pretty nice. Pretty not how can I say this in different words? God damn it! Uh, it's pretty good. The the anime is overall pretty good. And now I have to talk about the animation art and whatever. One of the, the first thing animation in this series is not say garbage but barely passable it's a hard five out of ten let's say just to give the scale it's hardly passable most of the, the action scenes are not really uh, animated at all most of the the attacks are uh, things that long-range attacks that happen a few frames they don't actually know, need to appear much because they have effects when they explode and whatever 
that being said, the art from the first to the third season, you can clearly see uh, a really good improvement on the art department, that not only the line work, but the colors and saturation effects and whatever. This all becomes really good. Um, talking about now the music. The music is... Oh, really? That good? Um, not something to write home about. The first opening is pretty... It's all mid. It's all pretty mid. The openings are all mid. Except the, the third season, you could say it's way better than the, the other two, but that's not such a high bar to pass. The insert songs, the, the both the, the happy songs, the, the sad songs, they all... Those are the ones that save the series. The, those are the ones that actually make the the scenes pop off. They they make the the whole thing kind of pop off, go go wild. Those are the good ones. And now I have to give a shout out to the one uh, the one song and the one animation, the one the one thing to save this whole part of music and animation. The first ending, the first ending, the, the ending of the first season, the music is called, is called Study Study, and it's sang by all the voice actors of the girls. So, the voice actors for Rias, Akeno, Koneko, and, and Asha. That music, that song is so high energy. It really, uh, really surprised me re-watching it. It was really, really good. Not only that, but, and again, I have to remind you, this series is lewd as all hell. The animation is the best animation you ever seen in the series, and it's a really good ending. Let's just say that. It's a really good ending. I think it's a really good ending. It, it is thematic for the, for the series, and it's pretty good. And this is the one thing. The, the ending of the first, uh, of the first season is the best thing that will come out of music and whatever in this whole series. That being said, the animation in general is not that great. The whole art department is not really that great. The the most of the most of the media potatoes of this series is carried on by its well-timed comedy at first, and later on it becomes kind of repetitive. Because this is a thing I, I glossed over when talking about the story, right? If it didn't become abundantly clear, uh, and, and clearly I, I did not mention this before, uh, Issei's powers are the most powerful in this whole series. The thing is, his powers respond to his will, to his emotions, and the more excited he becomes, the more powerful he becomes, more or less. The thing is, every time that he needs a power-up, it has to do with Elias basically promising him that he can touch his her boobies. And this is the whole series. And this goes in the middle of a battle. So the, the whole... I have this thing against uh, extensive monologues and talking before you fight and whatever. This series does this a lot. A lot. And mostly for a comedic effect. It works really well at the beginning, at the till the second season, I guess. At the third season, they really kind of stretch it to a point where it just becomes really, not obnoxious, but really 
it loses the self-awareness and becomes just a nonsense at the, that point. Because at the beginning it, it comes out as, ah, they are self-conscious about the, the whole fact that this this is a joke. This this whole fight's a joke, the whole the whole plot's a joke, the, the guy wants to be a Heron King when he becomes a, a high-level demon, and the whole thing is a, is a well-played joke. The, the thing is, at the, the ending, and ex especially because the last fight is between Issei and a mind-controlled Yes, that at that point was the one that gave him the boobies, uh, it kind of comes out as as really bad. I, I don't I don't actually know how to explain this. But it leaves this bad taste, this bad aftertaste when this kind of thing happens, right? I don't know anymore what I'm saying, really. Uh, let's just end this here. Basically, this is uh, the first three seasons of High School DxD. The anime is pretty good, pretty comfortable to watch, but the last season is kind of tough if you get used to the whole thing. The comedic time is pretty good at the beginning, the, at the end the, it becomes kind of repetitive, but some people may like it more than me, but whatever. That being said, thank you guys for listening, thank you guys for watching. If you like what I do, if you like the, the show, the podcast, please like, please share, please subscribe, please join the Discord. Uh, if you can also, I've recently released a video about Oshinoko on the channel on YouTube, so if you can, please watch it. I want feedback, I want to do more videos like that uh, about some other stuff that I have in mind, but I need feedback, so please, if you can, leave some feedback for me. And that's about it, so thank you again, and I hope you stick around. Bye.